Psalms chapter 19. Tonight I want to preach on the preeminence and the sufficiency of the Word of God, especially in regards to evangelism. Psalms chapter 19, verses 7 through 11. The psalmist says that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. And then in the book of Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter three verse one it says, "This know also." That in the last days, perilous times shall come. We indeed live in a perilous hour. But tonight I want to look at the cause of the state that we see the church in tonight. And I also want to look at the remedy. Paul said that there would come perilous times. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he said, I charge thee therefore before God, And the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. This is what He charges you and I. Preach the Word. He says, preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. I'm going to ask you to pray with me tonight. And I'm going to ask you to stretch forth your hand. I need God to quicken my mortal body tonight. Father, we come before you tonight. Father, we plead the blood of Jesus, Lord, upon this gathering tonight, Lord. We do apply that blood tonight, Lord, to the doorpost of this home. We just pray, Lord, for Your will to be accomplished. We pray for Your Word to have free course tonight. Father, I pray that You would bless and edify and strengthen, Lord, and provoke that church, Lord. I pray tonight that Christ would be manifest. You would give us ears to hear, Lord God, and grant us grace to be obedient, Father. We thank You for it tonight. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. The preeminence and the sufficiency of the Word of God. I believe that any spiritual man would agree that that time has come in which men will no longer endure sound doctrine. Now you look where Paul says that perilous times would come. He doesn't say there'd be guillotines and chopping blocks and torture racks. He says the reason the perilous times is that men would be lovers of their own selves. And that's the condition that we find today. Selfish men and women who have exalted their own independent, autonomous mind, their own will, their own pleasure. They have exalted their own kingdom above the kingdom of God. And because of this, there have been great ramifications. Jesus said, if your eye be single, your whole body shall be full of light. That speaks about having a jealousy for the glory of God. But if our eye is evil, if we are selfish, if there's any other agenda in our life other than the glory of God, the Bible says we would be filled with darkness. And not only would we be filled with darkness, but we would believe that that darkness is indeed light. And we see in this generation that America has been judged 
and cursed because they have dabbled with God and not trembled at the Word of God. I believe that Christianity can be simply defined as knowing and loving God. And I believe we would all agree to that. But what is the mark of a man or a woman that knows and loves God? It says in 1 John 5 and 3, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Hereby we do know that we know Him. If we keep His commandments, He that saith that I know Him and keepeth not His commandments is a liar. And the truth is, is not in Him. If we are not jealous for the commandments of God to the law and to the testimony, as Isaiah said, we cannot rightly say that we love and know God. We live in a reprobate generation. A generation in which light is called darkness and darkness light. The Bible says that there would come a people that would draw near to God with their lips, but their heart would be far from Him. Not long ago, we were preaching in St. Francisville, Louisiana. We were arrested by the police department there. Me and another young man went to jail. And as we were there spending the night in jail for preaching the gospel, the next morning, Brother Brooke called the jail to talk to the sheriff. But the sheriff couldn't be reached because he was at the town prayer breakfast. While he's got two preachers locked up in jail, he's at the town prayer breakfast. That case ended up going to federal court. And as we were in the court, as we came into there, they brought out the Word of God. And they established that as the highest authority in the land. Now the Bible says, above all things, swear not. But they violated the commandments of God as they swore on the Bible testifying that it was the highest commandment in the land. But yet, they were trying men for obeying that which they called the highest authority. It's deception. Men have been given over to delusion. While we were out at LSU not long ago, there was a local ministry out there and they were using pornography to evangelize. They had a big uh, display there with pornography. And they were using it and calling it evangelism. And when Brother Britt wrote a letter to the pastor giving Scripture refuting this awful practice, the man wrote back to him without one Scripture and he said, if you write me again, I'll call it spam and delete it. It's going to be an awful thing when men stand before God having called His truth and His Word spam. But in this day, that's what men esteem the Word of God as. Jeremiah said, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country. What's he talking about here? Well, Egypt is a type of the world. The north country is a type of Babylon or religious deception. And I believe what he's saying here, the prophet Jeremiah, is there would come a time when we would no longer be trying to get men saved out of the world, but we'd be trying to get them saved out of religion. And that's the hour in which we live. Men have been inoculated with religion. It's hard to find an honest heathen anymore. Everyone professes to know and to love God. The traditions of man have been exalted above the Word of God. And if you merely seek to obey God's Word, you will suffer the wrath of this apostate whore. In fact, the greatest opposition in fulfilling the Great Commission will come from men who are churchgoers and speak in tongues. You know, I was thinking about that, that when Jesus was brought before Pilate, a heathen and a pagan, Pilate said that he just wanted to scourge him and release him. But religion wasn't satisfied with that. They said, that's not enough. Crucify him. Pagans are more merciful than religious men and women. In fact, Jesus said it'd be better for a man to be on a bar stool, a drunkard and a whoremonger than to be inoculated with religion. He said that the tax collectors and the harlots, 
enter into the kingdom of God before the Pharisees. Religious is an awful and a dangerous deception in which many are affected with in this hour. We live in a reprobate age, void of judgment. It says now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. You go out and preach on the streets of America and people will gnash their teeth and become offended. But they can go home at night and watch sodomy on their television set and be entertained by it. A professing Christian at the Mardi Gras parade when Timothy Keaton climbed up on the toolbox and preached the gospel, she said, I feel so sorry for that young man as he quoted the Ten Commandments. But I guarantee you, let somebody come out there dressing up their child like Tupac Shakur or some kind of a race car driver and nobody is going to feel sorry for them. What's so wrong about teaching our children the Word of God? We live in a generation in which we're debating whether or not there could be such a thing as Christian rap. There is no such thing as Christian rap. I heard a message from a conservative Pentecostal church. The man preached a message on who is the greatest sinner in all of the universe. Do you know who that was according to this man? He read the Scripture where Pilate said, or Jesus said to Pilate, No man could deliver you unto me, but, but he that has the higher power, therefore he that hath delivered me into your hands, has the greatest sin. And this man preached the message that God the Father premeditated the murder of the Lord Jesus Christ and He was the greatest sinner in all the universe and a man had to shed His blood to redeem the Father. This is in a conservative Pentecostal church and men went with it and heard that man out. In this hour, the law is mistaken for grace. Love is called hatred. Darkness is called light. And the Great Commission is not only neglected, but it is attacked by men and women who claim to love God. What has taken place here? Isaiah asked a question. He said, how has the faithful city become a harlot. He said it was full of judgment. Righteousness lodged in it. But now murderers, thy silver is become dross, thy wine mixed with water, thy princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts and followeth after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. How has this taken place? How have we gone from the church being a faithful city to being a harlot? In the book of Proverbs, we see two women spoken of. One is the bride of Christ, the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31. The other one is that harlot, that whore, that strange woman. And in the book of Proverbs, chapter 2, it says this, My son, if thou wilt receive my words, and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thy heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and lift up thy voice for understanding, if thou seek her as silver, search for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. It's linked to a desire to know and obey the Word of God. And he says, if we will do this, then there will be two promises. Number one, we'll be delivered from that evil man, which is that old nature. But number two, we will be delivered from the strange woman, which forsaketh the guide of her youth and forgetteth the covenant of her God. That's why the faithful city has become a harlot. She has forsaken the guide of her youth and she has forgotten the covenant of God. She has neglected and rejected the Word of God as the ultimate and supreme authority. It says in 2 Thessalonians, let no man deceive you by any means. 
For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. It speaks about that mystery of iniquity. Why? With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth. Jesus said, Thy word is truth. They would not love and esteem the Word of God. And because of that, the judgment of God came upon them. And it said, for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, we think about unrighteousness as drunkenness and fornication. I agree. But it says in the book of Isaiah, Let the wicked man forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. God does not need our good ideas. God wants our minds to be renewed by His Word. The Bible says that we are to be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our mind by the Word of God. So when it says here, those that had pleasure in unrighteousness, yes, you can have pleasure in your sin, but it can also be our thoughts that we exalt above the Word of God. For selfish reasons, men have refused to tremble at and esteem God's Word concerning all things to be right. And they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And God has given them over to strong delusion. Now we know that Jesus is the Word of God. And in the book of Matthew, Jesus gives a warning unto Peter. He said to Peter, all shall be offended because of me this night. And Peter said, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Peter thought that he was the exception to the Word of God. I'm telling you, we had better not dabble with these truths that have been revealed unto us. None of us are the exception. The Bible says that a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. The Bible says that evil communication will corrupt good manners. And I'm warning us tonight that as we return home, those things which we have heard, we will be accountable for. And there are people that sat here in this room last year that were so eaten up with zeal, they would have preached to a fire hydrant. But tonight they're so confused, they don't know up from down because they thought they were the exception to the world. <laughs> We had better know the will of God for our lives. And we had better do whatever's necessary to be in the will of God. And I'm telling you, if anybody attacks the Great Commission through the preaching of God's Word, they are Antichrist. Isaiah said to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to that Word, it's because there is no light within them. Our Lord testified of Himself, and we are to be the body of Christ. He said, To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. And everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Jesus came to bear witness unto the truth. He was the truth. And we, the church, are to be the pillar and the ground of truth. You hear people today, they get so offended when you speak the truth unto people. One man, he told me as I was speaking to him about the gospel, he said, what about the struggling believer? Your message is going to condemn him. And God, I believe, put it on my heart. The right question to ask is not what about the struggling believer, but what about the bleeding Savior? And if we love men, it's truth that makes free and not sympathy. But in this hour, truth is fallen in the streets. In the days of Nixon, I heard, during the Watergate scandal, they tried to hide the truth. 
But now in this hour of subjectivism, they no longer try to hide it. They deny that there's any such thing as truth. We live in an hour of relativism where every man does that which is right in his own eyes. Jeremiah said they bend their tongues like their bows for lies, but they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. All Christians are valiant for the truth of God. They want to rightly divide the Word of God. People think about what is it to be led by the Spirit of God. To be led by the Spirit of God is to be led into all truth. If we're led by that Spirit, then He will help us to rightly divide the Word of God that we might have His mind concerning all things. Now in light, of what we see in this generation. What must you and I do in order to endure? First of all, we must measure our lives and our practices according to the Word of God. It says in the Bible, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And we usually stop right there. But Paul goes on to say, And all things are of God. That is the desire of the Christian. That every area of his life would be of God and according to His Word. We must learn to take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. And if in anything we're mistaken and somebody can show us a more excellent way, then we are bound to submit ourselves. The Bible says that faith worketh by love and love obeys the truth. But unbelief worketh by love as well. Unbelief works not by love for God, but by love for self. And because of a love for self, unbelief refuses to be persuaded by obvious truth for selfish reasons. Then it would behoove us to receive the counsel of Paul. In light of this, he told you and I, he charged us to preach the Word. That is the answer. That is the remedy. We must cleave to and declare the Word of God. Jude said in light of those that had crept in, he said that we must earnestly contend for the faith. In this hour, you hear most preachers, they've got an I think and I feel. They've got some kind of an impression, some kind of a vision. But Jeremiah said, the prophet that hath his dream, let him tell his dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat. We need to rise up and believe the Word of God and speak it with authority. What is it to truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ? To follow Christ is to be obedient unto Him who is the Word. We are born of the Word of God and He said if we continue in that Word, then and then alone Are we His disciples? And we must cleave dogmatically unto the precepts of God's Word unto the end. It says in Acts 11, who when He came and had seen the grace of God was glad, and He exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. We need to cleave unto the Word of God. That word cleave, it means to catch or overtake by pursuit, to fall upon and dash against, and to adhere to with strong adherence. That's what we need to do with God's Word. We must cleave to it and hold to it for dear life. The Bible says that in this apostate hour, there will be a remnant. One man said a remnant is the survivor of a crisis. This crisis of men rejecting the Word of God. And John defines the remnant in the book of Revelation. He says the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Who is that remnant? He says those which keep the commandments. 
of God. That right there marks and distinguishes God's remnant in this hour. I agree with Brother Clendenin. He says the last day outpouring, one of the primary means for it will be to keep and preserve a remnant. To let them know that most of what is going on in this hour is not of God. That's just as much a work of the Holy Ghost as a man getting healed that you and I would be kept within the truth. All true Christians are marked by an esteem for and a dogmatic faithfulness to God's Word. Jesus said in John 17 and 8, I have given unto them thy words, and they have received them. That's the mark of His disciples. And He said, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. God's Word separates us as believers. That is the distinguishing mark. But in this hour, it's sad that you have to do it, but you have to qualify. What are we talking about when we talk about the Word of God? Well, you may disagree with me, but when I speak about the Word of God, I speak about the King James Bible. I believe that that is the inspired Word of God. We live in an hour in which men are lovers of convenience rather than lovers of truth. They're trying to find something that reads like a newspaper. I don't care if it was written in Japanese. If it's the Word of God, I need to read that. And I agree with Dr. Ian Paisley tonight. He said if you've got any other perversion with you, the best thing you can do is put it under your chair and let whoever cleans up the church tonight put it in the trash can. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. If you've got to have every word, those other perversions disagree with this. So they both can't be the Word of God. So we need to choose, and I believe, as the Word of God is called truth. If we have the Spirit of truth, I believe that He will lead us into all truth. The cry of the heart of the Christian is to the law and to the testimony. David, a man after God's own heart, who served his generation. Look at the attributes of this man. He said, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation day and night. He said, I hate vain. <coughs> he said, I hate vain thoughts. Now what's he talking about? Vain thoughts. What he's saying is anything that's not according to God's Word, anything that's of himself, the imagination of his own heart, he said that he hated it. But thy law do I love. He said, I've chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. I have stuck unto thy testimonies. He said, how sweet are thy words to my taste, sweeter than honey to the mouth. And he says, therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. We live in an hour of compromise. I've been teaching the children at our church having a biblical world view. And I've never seen the importance of believing the book of Genesis literally just like it says it, that God in the beginning, ex nihilo, out of nothing, in six literal days, created the heavens and the earth, just like He says it. And anybody that doesn't believe that is a rebel and an infidel. We've got to understand tonight, we must not be ignorant of the devices of the enemy. What's the devil after here? It's more than creation versus evolution. The devil is after truth. He is trying to undermine our foundation of absolute certainty and truth. And if he can come in in Genesis chapter 1, then how can a man really believe John 3.16? That's what the devil's after. And we must not compromise. We must not be 
are moved by scientists. In this generation, science is the Messiah. People think given enough time, science can solve any problem. And all that evolution is, because men so esteem science, evolution is nothing more than scientific permission for men to reject God. That's all that it is. And if we get away from God being the Creator, then we sever the vital nerve of Christianity. Because if God is not the Creator, then He does not have rights unto His creation. And that's the whole thing. That's what the devil's after. The rights of God. The authority of God. The absolute truth of His Word. The Word of God must be our heavenly compass to set our course. It must be our pillar of fire to God. It must be our balance to weigh our thoughts and our actions. And it must be our map to sail safely to new Jerusalem. Job said, He knoweth the way that I take. When He hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held His steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandments of His lips. I have esteemed the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. I heard the testimony of a man smote my heart. This man, he loved his Bible. He loved to read his Bible. He had wonderful fellowship with God in the Word of God. And the man was burnt so severely that his eyes were blinded. And he could no longer see to read his Bible. So he sought to learn Braille. But his fingers were so charred that he couldn't learn Braille with his fingers. He tried with his toes. His toes were so charred. So this man learned Braille with his tongue. And before he died, he read the Bible through three times with his tongue. Oh, that God would give us such a love for the Word of God. I believe that possibly the three greatest gifts that any man could have is godly parents, a godly pastor, and the Bible. You and I have the Word of God tonight. John Wesley didn't have a bigger Bible than we have. All that we have need of for life and for godliness is found in that Word. The Bible says it is given for his, by inspiration of God that we might be thoroughly furnished. <coughs> Perfect and equipped for every good work. All that we have need of is there in that precious book. Like John Wesley said, he said, Oh, give me that book. At any cost, give me that book of God. Oh, may God quicken us according to His Word. The falling away in our hour is not from religious activities and church going, but from the Word of God. That's what it is. A falling away from truth. And I propose to you tonight that most of what is believed to be orthodox theology in our day is Antichrist. I read somewhere that much of what is orthodox is nothing but error that has been held to for several generations. The Bible says the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I was listening to the radio one day. I heard a conservative Pentecostal ministry in Baton Rouge. They were talking about they didn't see how a spirit-filled man could have voted for John Kerry. And I called him up and I said, what about George Bush? And they said, what do you mean? And I said, the man endorses abortion for incest and rape and the danger of the mother. And they said, we agree with that. We believe that that is right. And I began to try to reason with these men that we never have the right to take a life. I said, you're going to find fault with me for trusting the Word of God over the Word of a man? And all they could do was scoff and mock at me. Finally, we got to the issue at hand. And they asked me who I voted for. And they said, well, you just threw your vote away. And I asked those men a question. I said, let me ask you something. If it was George Bush and John Kerry and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
And according to the polls, Jesus had no chance of winning. Who would you vote for? They couldn't and they wouldn't answer such a question. They could just mock and scoff. And in this hour, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been so cheapened. What people call evangelism is foolishness. People think that Jesus came to eat lunch with sinners and tell them stories. Most have been beguiled and spoiled by vain humanistic philosophies and the traditions of men which are not according to Christ. What we have in this hour is bumper sticker religion. People say, I think, I feel, it seems. But hardly anybody ever says, the Bible says. I was talking with my grandmother one time, and she said, Charlie, all you say is the Bible says. The Bible says. The Bible says. Oh, may it be said of us that that was everything that we say. But if we look in the Word of God, there are some absolutes. You can know a tree by its fruit. And it says in the book of John, He whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. If a man is of God, you go to the LSU campus, you go out in your home, you preach the gospel wherever you are, and people come to attack you. You ask them to give you a biblical justification for their argument. There is none. They'll say, I think, I, it seems, I feel, but they'll never say, the Bible says. Not only will those sent by God speak the Word of God, but it goes on to say in John 8, He that is of God... Hear it, God's words. And Jesus said, Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. You can mark it down tonight. If someone will not hear the word of God, they are not of God. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. And you can also mark it down tonight that God will never violate His principles to accomplish His will, and neither will His church. You and I tonight must not be ignorant of the devices of the enemy. What did He do to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3? He came in and undermined the Word of God. He said, Hath God said. And the first Adam succumbed to that and was beguiled. But the second Adam overcame by saying, It is written. And that is the battle of our generation. Hath God said, Verse, It is written. And what the devil got Adam and Eve to do was to forsake the authority of God's Word concerning all things and to exalt their humanistic opinions above that Word to decide what was right and what was wrong. And that's the same thing that the apostate church has done in this hour. They no longer believe and esteem the Word of God. They have exalted their vain traditions and philosophies above it, and they call themselves wise. Success can be defined by one word. Obedience. Spiritual success is obedience to the Word of God. That's what it is. And a man that will set his heart to obey God's Word, that man is successful. Christianity is the history of men and women who have lived by faith. And faith always works by love. And love obeys the Word of God. And if I could sum that up right there, this is Christianity. Principle-based obedience to God's Word for His glory, no matter the cost and no matter the result. That is Christianity. Principle-based obedience to the Word of God, no matter the cost and no matter the result. And if that is faith, then no wonder Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith upon this earth. 
because few are living according to that maxim. Those three Hebrew children, they told Nebuchadnezzar, we don't know if God's going to deliver us or not. It doesn't matter. Their faith kept them from bowing. They said, oh king, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. We will not bow. They weren't looking at the consequences. They weren't looking at the seeming rewards. They had one thing in mind, the Word of God. And they set their heart to obey that. People say today, well, you're preaching. It doesn't work. But it does work if we have God's definition. What is the purpose of preaching? It says in Titus that God has manifested His Word through preaching. Whenever we go out and preach the gospel, Christ is manifested and exalted. That's the aim of preaching. And if we preach under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, then every time we go out, it works. But I would like to ask those same people, when they say that it doesn't work, according to their definition, what if it did, would you do it? And they surely would, because their God is not the Word of God and Jesus Christ. Their Lord is results. They're not submitted unto Christ because they will not submit unto His Word. The Bible says we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. And always remember, there's a difference between proof and persuasion. That serial killer doesn't have to be persuaded himself that he's guilty to be executed. If there is proof, whether or not the sinner is persuaded or not, matters absolutely nothing. God's Word is valid and evident truth. The defining question that we must ask ourselves is by what standard do we live? Because our standard reveals our Lord. That's how we know if we're submitted to Christ, who is the Word, because we will be submitted to the Bible. One man asked a question. He said, does a fish know that he's wet? Well, he said he probably doesn't. All he knows is wetness. Dryness is a foreign concept to that fish. And likewise, you and I have been so inundated in a humanistic society, all of the traditions of men that are exalted above the Word of God, that which is called orthodox and pure in this hour, we need to be sure that we have not been leavened by the culture of our day. We must look unto God and unto His Word. And we need to take what is called the desert island challenge. This man said, imagine you are on a desert island with nothing but your Bible. How would you live your life? How would you evangelize? How would you educate your children? How would you dress? What would be your philosophy concerning planting and governing a church? All of these things must be defined by the Word of God. We must understand that there is no neutrality at all. There is no such thing as brute facts. Everything in the universe can only be understood completely in the light of Him who created it. Whether or not we're talking about the chemical composition of water, the War of 1812, or the laws of logic, everything was created by God and for His pleasure, and we can never truly understand it but in the light of who He is. There's a fallacy today called the sacred-secular distinction. People think that God is concerned about how we conduct ourselves in His house. But we're given liberty in other areas of life. The Bible says, whatsoever we do, whether we eat or drink, we are to do it all to the glory of God. God's Word alone must be our standard. And we must preach it and declare it. People say, well, you go out there and preach. Nobody really understands. A man was telling me today, you can't do anything by just yelling at people. It's not that they don't understand. 
The reason that they act like they act is because they understand perfectly well what we are saying to them. The Word of God is self-attesting. It is pregnant with inherent authority. We need no rabbi, no higher criticism, no scientist in order to validate the Word of God. Because if anything crowns the Word of God as being authoritative, then that becomes the final authority. I tell Brother Britt's children in children's church, I ask them if they've ever been playing back in their room. And as they're back there jumping off the bed and getting a little too much liberty back there and wrestling and doing body slams and as Micah's about to come off the top ropes onto Jude, he looks out of the corner of his eye and he sees a bearded man scowling at them. And he says, Son, what are you doing? I asked Micah if his mother ever had to sit him down and say, Son, now your dad has something that's called authority. And when he speaks, you need to tremble and you need to listen. Micah never had to have his mother tell him that. He knew inherently that his father spoke with authority. And God's creation knows inherently that God is speaking unto them. They are without excuse. Only God is worthy to testify for Himself. The Word of God is infallible. Not one single contradiction. The Word of God is sufficient. We live in an hour in which people will agree with the inherency of Scripture, but they deny the sufficiency of the Scripture. All that we have need of is in that Word. The Bible is relevant. People say, well, that was back in the Bible days. We live in the Bible days. And you and I must declare it. Because it is the highest authority here on planet Earth. You think about Peter tonight. Peter had the privilege of being on the Mount of Transfiguration with our Lord. He heard an audible voice speak out of heaven. He saw with his own eyes the Lord Jesus Christ transformed before him. That's an awesome and a powerful experience. But yet he said, we have a more sure word of prophecy than that experience that I had. He was telling us that the greatest experience pales in light of the Word of God. A man asked me recently, well, he said we need more miracles within the church. And I began to talk to him. He was saying that possibly that's the reason why people aren't converted. But you think about this. If we went out to Ellisshoot it, we'd think surely people would believe. My father-in-law, who's an atheist, he told me that if his father rose from the dead and walked through the door of my house, he would believe. I said, no, sir, you wouldn't. Because Jesus said, the one rose from the dead, if they will not hear Moses and the prophets, then not the greatest miracle or sign or wonder is going to convince them. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were walking there. Jesus approached them. He said, what manner of conversations do they have? Do you have? He said, don't you know what's just happened here in Jerusalem? And they began to tell Jesus. They said, we had thought that He was really and truly the Christ. He said, there have been some that have said He's risen from the dead, that the tomb is empty. They've had eyewitness experience. Now you look at what Jesus said to them. Did He say, well, have you been to the tomb? Have you gone to see for yourself? No. He rebuked them. He said, ye fools and slow of heart to believe all that Moses and the prophets said. He was saying that the Word of God is the highest authority on planet earth. And it doesn't matter if you see that tomb. I don't need to go to Jerusalem. I don't need to get some holy water. I don't need to see Noah's ark. I don't need to find some chariot wheel to convince the heathen of where they went through the Red Sea. All we need to do is to rise up and to speak forth all the words of this life. And as I close tonight, I'll leave you with an analogy. Suppose that Brother Matt 
before he was a Christian there, a student at the University of Maine. And he was there one night in the halls of academia. He was studying and researching there in the library. And as he went back to his little house, that flop house that night, as he left and he was walking through the dark corridors, he was heading out to his car. He looked out into the parking lot and he saw a big menacing figure approaching him. And this man happened to have a very large knife. Now, Brother Matt's father was a member of the NRA. And he had warned Brother Matt that things like this, son, might happen. You always need to be sure you're carrying your pistol. So Matt, being a a good, honoring young man to his father, had his pistol there in the back of his belt. And as that man came walking up, as the light of the parking lot was glistening off that blade, the big assailant came up and he said, Your money or your life. And Brother Matt reaches and pulls out his pistol and points it at him. And the man begins to laugh. (laughs) He said, I happen to be a member of the American Knife Wielders Association and we do not believe in God. And Matt says, oh no, he doesn't believe in guns. And he drops his pistol and the man takes all of his money and Matt walks away. Second scenario, here comes Brother Matt out of the halls of academia there. Same mugger approaches him. He comes up, he says, your money or your life. Matt pulls out his pistol and he points it at him. The mugger laughs and he said, I'm a member of the American Knife Wielders Association and I don't believe in guns. Well, Matt said, oh, fortunately, sir, tonight in the library, I've downloaded all such of information and statistics about ballistics. I've got eyewitness account. I've got authority reports, sir. If only you would look here at my information, the would-be mugger laughs. And he said, sir, he said, I've downloaded information from my website as well. Give me your money or your life. So he drops his gun. He gives the man his money. Third scenario. Here comes Brother Matt. Here comes the mugger. He walks up to him. He says, your money or your life. Brother Matt pulls out his pistol. The man laughs. He says, I don't believe in God. Brother Matt pulls the trigger and makes him an instantaneous believer. And it's the same way with the Word of God. Paul said, preach the Word. Preach the Word. All men are without excuse. They recognize that when you speak as the oracle of God, that their Creator is speaking unto them. And we must believe that. We must not be ashamed of the Word of God. We must stand upon it. We must believe it. And we must speak it with authority. Let's stand tonight. Hallelujah. Thank You, Jesus. The supremacy and the sufficiency of the Word of God. Father, I ask tonight, Lord, that Your Word would have free course in every heart here. Father, I just pray, Lord, that You would quicken us all according to Your Word. Lord, that we would love and esteem Thy Word, Lord. That we would believe it, Lord. We would cleave unto it, Lord. And we would speak it boldly as we ought to speak it. I thank You tonight, Father, for Your grace and for Your Spirit. I pray for Your will to be accomplished tonight, Father, in each of our hearts. I thank You for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can open up the altars here, Sister Persinger or Sissy, if you'd like to come and play the piano. Let's ask God tonight to give us an esteem for His Word. Amen. 